Hi, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Potomac Perspective. I'm Neil Shapiro, Head of Corporate Communications at Stiefel, joined, as always, by the star of the show, Brian Gardner, our Chief Washington Policy Strategist. Hey, Brian. Good morning, Neil. It's good to be with you. Well, we got to have the star. It's good to be good to be with you as well. Everything going okay? You had a good July 4th? July 4th, a great American holiday, was uh, was spectacular. Uh, I hope uh, yours was good as well. It was, it was, and now we're back. And not only are we back, but Congress is back as well. And it looks like we're going to have sort of a supercharged next, you know, four to six weeks. And I know we have a lot to get to, but maybe, Brian, for this week, before we get to the congressional agenda, maybe we could start with some Supreme Court uh, fallout. Um, You know, we mentioned July 4th, before the holiday, um, the Supreme Court uh, struck down... um, uh, or had a ruling really that was that that essentially curbed the power of the of the EPA and not only would that obviously have an impact on the president's climate change agenda but i imagine there could be implications for other industries as well am i right about that absolutely potentially this is a a big decision um you know coming at the one of the last days of of a term that was very consequential i mean every, I, in a lot of press attention to the the gun case and the abortion case, but this EPA case on how courts um, uh, interpret statutes and how agencies interpret statutes has the potential for being a, a, a biggie. Um, so for years, Congress has passed laws tend to be vague and they delegate authority uh, to regulatory agencies to fill in the blanks. Um, con- uh, the courts generally defer um on that. It's, there's something called the Chevron Doctrine, and it sets out a, a set of rules and principles under which the court determines whether an agency has gone too far or has stayed kind of within, within the guidelines of interpreting the law uh, that Congress passed. Um, that's enabled agencies to have a fair amount of latitude. Um, but recent cases have signaled the courts looking to rein in agencies. Um, which in turn puts pressure back on Congress to write laws more clearly, but that's probably a, a separate topic. Mm-hmm. Um, so we don't know exactly how far the court's going to go um, uh, in in this in this new direction. Um, I, I think that's something that will be um, fleshed out over the, the coming years. Um, but a lot of agencies like the SEC, the banking regulators, a host of agencies, um, they're going to find themselves more constrained in how they write regulations um, that uh, enact what Congress passed, um, enforce what Congress uh, passed, less likely to come up with kind of novel interpretations. And that's kind of at the, the base of, of what the court was getting at, telling the EPA in this case, stick to what Congress told you to do, don't use vague language to rewrite the law in the way that you want it to be written. Um, but, you know, you, I mentioned the SEC. The SEC has this uh, uh, disclo- uh, this climate disclosure proposal out. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there are people at the agency that are kind of reading the EPA case and trying to figure out, you know, did we go too far? Are we staying within the, the parameters of the securities laws that Congress has previously passed? So, Getting you know back to your your original question, is this potentially big? Yeah, this is potentially big. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, you know. Supreme Court decisions are always interesting and always well watched, but it just seems like of late, 
um, there's been so much focus on Supreme Court decisions and implications, not just not just the decisions themselves, but implications for future cases. And this certainly would fall, I would guess, in that category. Yeah, I mean, and, and you know, this is something that I think um, Justice Gorsuch um, kind of signaled uh, when he was up for confirmation a couple of years ago uh, in 2017. Um, uh, it's a curtailing of the administrative state. There's this. There's a sense in some quarters that administrative agencies have gone too far um, uh, in in interpreting statutes that I, as I mentioned, were have been traditionally vaguely written, uh, and using those that that vague language to write new law that Congress did not give them the power to do, at least in the court's uh, view, and so. Um, yeah, I, I think the administrative state is going to have its wings clipped uh, in the coming decades. And I think this case, the EPA case, is really going to be um, a precedent and a foundation that a lot of future cases um, uh, are uh, used to cite uh, when, uh, when an agency steps over the line. Yeah. Well, we mentioned that Congress is now back from their July 4th holiday, and clearly there's a little bit of a of a rush to get some of these Biden economic agenda items through, I guess, between now and before the midterm elections. You know, we've talked a lot about Build Back Better. And I think our last podcast, we spent a fair amount of time talking about the China competition bill. Um, now that Congress is back in session, are there any updates on either of those pieces? Uh, definitely. Um, so we we have a couple of calendar deadlines that are really coming into focus and, and focusing um, what Congress will do. So um, they're back following the July 4th recess. They're, they're, they will be here for the rest of the month and then scheduled to break for the traditional August recess. Um, then they come back after Labor Day with the midterm election on the horizon. So that's another deadline. But between Labor Day and the midterm is really September 30th. And that's a big deadline, too. That's a really significant deadline um, because, um, one, the, the annual spending bills expire on September 30. So you have to, you have to, uh, Congress has to authorize new spending to go beyond that. Um, and the other is directly related to Build Back Better, or as some people are now referring to it as uh, Build Build Back Mansion, um, uh, that the budget resolution that allows Democrats to use these special rules, what we refer to as the reconciliation rules, that expires on September 30th. So in order to finish Build Back Better, get it passed. They got to get it done by September 30th. So um, there have been negotiations ongoing for months on a revised Build Back Better bill. And there, there seems to be an agreement on the prescription drug section. Mm -hmm. um, they're, they're still working on other sections, but the prescription drug section has been taken to the Senate parliamentarian um, which is uh, an office within the Senate that kind of is the referee to see if legislative language fits within these reconciliation rules. So that, that that's a sign there's an agreement there. Um, but as I, as I said, they're, they're still working on the other sections. So they're still working on a climate section. They're still working on a tax section. So there's no agreement there. There's no agreement on the temporary subsidies for the Obamacare pol uh, insurance policies. So that, that's a big deal for a lot of Democrats. So there's a still a lot of work to be done on this bill. Um, so it's difficult to see how they finish a bill by the end of the month, by the end of July. So what are the options? Maybe they postpone the August recess if they're close to a deal. If they're not, I, I don't see them toying around with August. So 
Um, the postponement of an August recess is probably a good signal of, of where they are in the negotiating process. Um, I really think that actually they have to get it done before they leave for that break, whether it's early August, mid-August, late August, because I just think it's going to be tough to finish anything in September um, because you're going to have spending bills, like I mentioned a, a minute ago, that have to be done. Um, there's going to be a rush to do other legislation and and finish up nominations, get judges confirmed and whatnot, all, all done during September. So we're running out of time. Yeah. At the same time, switching over to what I'll refer to as the China bill, uh, the China competition bill, um, Senator McConnell said that Republicans won't support that bill if Democrats proceed with Build Back Better. So negotiations on the China competition bill have stopped. Yeah. Um, and for those who have uh, who are not as familiar with the bill, um, at its heart is a uh, fifty two billion dollars in subsidies for domestic chip manufacturers mm-hmm. to um, to uh, build plants here in the United States for domestic production. Um, there's some trade aspects. There's some other parts of it. But the, the real key piece of it is um, is the uh, the fifty two billion dollar subsidy. So. With McConnell's um, move, Democrats have a couple of options on how to counter. None of them are easy. Um, now, there are two versions of the bill. The House passed the bill in February. The Senate bill was passed back in, uh, in 2021 with bipartisan support. Um, there were 13 Republicans, I think, that voted for I'm sorry, uh, 19 Republicans, sorry, that voted for it. So maybe you just have the stop the negotiations, have the House pass the Senate bill. It's already passed the Senate. The House can just pass it on its own. I'm, I'm skeptical that works because there are things in that bill that uh, House Democrats don't support. And so with only a four or five vote margin in the House, that's going to be tough to do. Um, you could pass the, the CHIPS Act, the, the subsidy that I just mentioned, as a standalone bill and dare Republicans to vote against it. Um, I still think that faces a high hurdle. You'd have to get at least 10 Republicans. And and there are a number of Democrats who don't like the idea of, of supporting, they don't want to support a subsidy uh, for large domestic corporations. It's a bad look for them. Um, and then the third is cobble something together based on what re- recent negotiations have produced. There's no final deal, but whatever they've done, kind of take that cobble it into something final and, and dare Republicans uh, to block it. Um, and I think Republicans would block it. Um, and I guess I'll throw in a fourth option. Maybe it's just get through the election and do a year end deal in a lame duck session. That's possible, but really tough to do. Lame duck sessions typically are reserved for deadline issues, things that have to be done by the end of the year. And my guess is the spending bills will, that what I just discussed for September will temporarily get us to December. And then you're going to have to do it, that exercise all over again for the rest of the fiscal year. And then an annual defense bill, um, the NDAA, that'll have to be done by uh, December 31st. And I think those two items are going to take up all the time in the lame duck session. So how do you get a a China competition bill done with with that in mind. So I'm, I, I think that bill's in in a lot of trouble right now. Yeah, and I mean I know it's not on the Senate side, but and you still have these January sixth hearings going on in the House, which Absolutely. take up a lot of focus and attention as well. And and and, and, and that that's one. And, and you know when people question 
you know, why Congress is, especially the Senate, isn't working on one item versus another. A lot of the time, it just comes down to scheduling. Mm-hmm. And by scheduling, I mean floor time. And by floor time, I mean considering nominations for various administrative posts and judge uh, uh, judicial nominations for uh, district courts and courts of appeals. And those are very time consuming. Um, they changed the rules several years ago on how many votes you need. It's a simple majority. But a lot of these nominations require 30 hours of debate. You know, you run out of 30 hours in a hurry unless you can get an agreement with the opposition party. And those are that that cooperation is tough to come by these days. So scheduling things on the floor, the the leader has to prioritize these things. And then items like uh, the the, the China bill, you know, face a, a higher hurdle than I think a lot of people appreciate. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, you know, you mentioned the midterm elections, never too early to start talking about the presidential election, even though that's two plus years away. Um, and Brian, we look, we've all seen a lot of the, the press has ramped up recently with stories about President Biden's future and whether the Democrats would consider running someone other than the president on the ticket in 2024. There was an, uh, a New York Times Siena College poll that came out um, saying of Democrats saying that nearly two thirds, 64% of of Democrats would prefer someone other than Biden at the top of the ticket. Uh, The vice president, Kamala Harris, was uh, on some of the Sunday talk shows basically saying Joe is running and she plans to run with him. Um, Any thoughts about what the Democrats do for the presidential ticket um, in 24? So first, let's start with why these stories are out there. I think part of that is it, it reflects democratic anxiety about the midterms, right? The, the, the numbers that you just cited, I, I think, uh, is a proxy for Democrats being really concerned that they're going to lose big in the House. Senate's another matter that we've covered, and we can talk about that another time again. Um, but they're going to lose big in the House. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're going to lose the majority. They're going to lose a number of seats, um, highly likely. Um, so who, who to blame? Um, and the number one agenda item or uh, priority for, for voters uh, is inflation in the economy. So that, so it's easy for Democrats to, to blame the White House and to blame the president. So that, that's, that's one reason. The other reason is, is quite frankly, his age. And, that, and this, none of this should be surprising because these are conversations that were going on back in 2020 when he was running for office. There were always questions lingering out there of whether he was up for the job. And because of COVID and his ability to campaign from home and not do public events and not put any stress on himself, those, those questions were, were easily ignored, but they were always there. And, they, and part of that question was, would he be a one-term president because of, of his age? And his age and the demand of the job are certainly starting to have Democrats, you know, consider early on whether he will or will not run or should or should not run again. Now, I don't I I think what the vice president said on the Sunday talk shows and what every administration official, including the president, will say about him running again is that he will run. They have to say that. I mean, there's no option for that, because once he acknowledges the alternative, he becomes a lame duck and loses all power. Um, So. and I think it's kind of unfortunate for him because, you know, because he, of, of his age, 
he stumbles on the teleprompter, he, you know, slips off his bike. I mean, these are things that happen to everybody, regardless of their age. But because he is in this age and this narrative is out there, those kinds of things are magnified and he will continue to face that. You know, you know, on that, you know, going back to, you know, 1976, the mid-1970s with Gerald Ford, a lot of our our younger uh, colleagues, clients, listeners will will forget the Ford administration, but Jerry Ford, who um, uh, you know was maybe one of the more athletic presidents of all time, played football at the at the University of Michigan. Um, I was quite athletic. Um, had a couple of uh, time untimely slips where he stumbled downstairs. Fell off the plane. He fell he off the fell plane. The plane. Uh, at a time when, fortunately, the uh, the staircase going to Air Force One was not as as large. Those were the old seven oh sevens, not the seven forty seven. Um, and he had a couple of missteps, gaffes yeah. during some pres- with a presidential in a presidential debate with uh, his opponent Jimmy Carter at the time. These things happen, um, yeah. regardless of age. It does happen, um, but it does. But because of his age, as you mentioned, it does underscore the the, the concerns. But I, 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 look, I, I think what's going to happen is that. Um, regard. Let, let's give the scenario. Let's assume that he doesn't run. I don't think we're going to get an announcement for quite some time because of what I just said on him becoming a lame duck. I think he will postpone that announcement for as long as possible. And while there are a number of Democrats who are are looking at the race and these stories and polls that you have mentioned are accompanied by who who out across the country is looking to get into this, um, it does freeze them out for a while and it does enhance the opportunity for Vice President Harris to be the nominee. I think it, I think she, she will get challenged and there will be a primary, but the longer it goes on, the more it kind of freezes money for other candidates and, and helps her kind of structural institutional advantage over a lot of other candidates. Yeah. Um, but, There's also, I mean, there's a lot that could happen between now and I realize this would have to be decided well before, you know, election day 2024. But when you look at Biden's biggest problems, right, the economy, inflation, I mean, that those cycles, we have no idea how long that could last. And, and the economy and inflation could be in a very different place, you know, 15 months from now. Totally correct. So I'm, 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 I'm not going to play economist here. I'm not going to predict what the economy is going to look like next year. I'm not going to predict what inflation is going to look like. But just hypothetically speaking, let me just throw out a, a hypothetical scenario that that the economy stays modestly strong and somehow inflation comes down more rapidly than we expect. Again, I'm not predicting this, but just let's let's play this out a little. Right. right. Um, you know, I, I could see the Biden numbers rebounding under that kind of scenario. Is that a long shot scenario? Is that a likely scenario? I think it's it's probably more unlikely than likely. Um, but under that scenario, if it were to play out, um, I could see the, the the numbers rebounding, not all the way back to where they were in January and February of 2021 after he got elected, um, but kind of in the, the mid range or the reasonable range of, of reelection. And maybe that boosts his ability um, maybe that boosts his view, I should say, that, that he can run and win a second term and never underestimate 
any politician, I'm not just talking about Joe Biden, any yeah. politician, their view, their their confidence in themselves and their and their 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 confidence in an ability to win an election. That yeah. that should never be underestimated. Well, look, I mean, conditions could definitely change, circumstances can change. His age is not going to change. That's only going to get higher. So the Well, so it does change. What's that? So it does change. It gets higher. It goes up. Right. That's true. Not change. The, traje- the trajectory won't change. Right. Exactly right. Exactly right. Well, anyway, that will give us plenty to talk about over the next two years. So we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll, this isn't the first time we'll have this topic up for discussion. But Brian, I think that's uh, pretty much all the time we have for this edition of Potomac Perspective. So thank you, Brian. It was fun to catch up. Neil, it was great to catch up with you. And I look forward to doing our next one. Yep. And for everyone out there, please don't forget to download and subscribe to the series on your favorite podcast platform. And we will see you next time.